Good morning, everybody. Uh, as mentioned, my name is Steve Aaron, and uh, thankful to be here. Actually, he started coming to the church about eight years ago and used to sit all the way in the back corner over there and for the first six years would just uh, listen to the sermon and then uh, make my way out. And then the Lord uh, started working in my heart. And as mentioned, I was able to be an intern. And uh, now the Lord has allowed me to be on staff. Uh, many of you I may have seen uh, as you walk in. Usually I, I try to help with the host team. Uh, but I'm thankful to be here uh, as we're continuing our journey uh, through the book of Genesis. Uh, I had the pleasure of speaking to our Closer Walk uh, ministry on Wednesday morning, and I told them a story, and I was thinking about it this morning. Um, I, so I live uh, by myself, so I get up uh, kind of early, and I take my time and, and uh, am able to just get through my morning. Uh, but that is in stark contrast to the way that I grew up. Uh, I grew up right here in La Mirada with five siblings. And on Sunday mornings, I remember those were probably some of the most hectic times. Uh, my dad would wake us up at 7 a.m. and he would bang uh, pots uh, together and he would sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Dad, that is not the way we want to wake up. And uh, we, would, we would get up and my brother and I, are, are, our hair is disheveled and, and we, we used to wear suits and ties at church. So we'd put on our suit and tie. Um, I had four older sisters uh, and then my younger brother. So you can imagine, my brother and I never got bathroom time. Um, and so we would, um, you know, we would rush out of the house. We would get into our GMC family van and we would make our way to church. And this was right before uh, cell phones and right before uh, TVs in the car. So you could, you know, you, you either only looked out the window or you fought with your brothers and sisters. And so my parents, they had a solution. They said, you know, uh, we're going to sing on our way to church. Now, we were 12, 13. I mean, you know, we're, we weren't too excited to sing hymns on the way to church. But I remember my parents would literally make us sing. And one of the songs that we always sang was Standing on the Promises. And I remember uh, how we would sing about uh, standing on the promises that cannot fail. Though the harrowing doubts and fears assail. And my parents would tell us uh, that God always keeps his promises. One of my favorite songs that we sing here that we started singing a while ago and quickly became my favorite song is a song called Promises. And uh, in that, it mentions uh, that God is a God of covenant, that he's faithful through the ages. And then it says that he'll do just what he says. And so this morning, I want to plant that seed in our minds that God will do just as he says. We're going to come back to that in a little bit, but I want us to keep that in mind as we are uh, working our way through this passage this morning. Now, as Scott Ballon mentioned uh, about a month and a half ago when he was up here, like any good Netflix show, we have to have a recap of where we've been in order to know uh, where we are this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, if you remember, obviously God creates the heavens and the earth, culminating in his uh, creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, God uh, has perfect fellowship with them. There's no sin. He's in the Garden of Eden. And everything is the way that God had intended it to be. Uh, obviously, we know that the serpent comes and, and tempts uh, Adam and Eve, and they eat of the fruit uh, that God forbid them from eating. And because of that, they plunge all of humanity into total sinfulness, into uh, utter depravity. But how does God respond immediately? If you remember Genesis 3.16, we call it the first gospel. God comes to them. Of course, he gives them a curse. We are cursed because of sin. But God immediately gives them a commitment. Uh, 
God says that the uh, serpent will bruise the seed of the woman, but ultimately the seed of the woman whom we know as will be Christ will crush the head of the serpent. So right off the bat, God makes a commitment to restore everything the way that it was, that it was intended to be. And if we take the overarching uh, storyline of the Bible, it is just that. It is a story of God trying to, or God calling a people to himself to redeem them. And ultimately we know that all things will be restored for God's glory. So I want us to keep that in mind that God is always working toward redemption. God is always working to draw us back to himself. Uh, We know obviously that after um, Adam and Eve are uh, uh, told to leave the garden, uh, basically it's just a downward trajectory for man. Uh, We know the next story, uh, Cain and Abel and the first murder, and things continually go down and down uh, to the point where God says, you know, man is so sinful, I'm sorry that I even made them. God regretted, we were so sinful, God regretted that he even made us. And the last couple of weeks we studied the flood, which was a result, God's judgment, the result of our sin. And because of that, uh, you know, God wiped out all of humanity except for Noah and his family. And last week we uh, spoke about how uh, Noah had a time of waiting and uh, after that he had a time of worship. So with that in mind, I want us to, to, to notice something quickly in Genesis chapter six. Um, if, you, if you have your journals or your Bibles, we know this part where God said, you know, God sees the sinfulness of man. Genesis chapter six, verse five says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. As we mentioned, because the sinfulness of man, God says, I will blot out all of humanity. But after the flood, if you turn, your page, uh, if you turn a couple of pages, we come to Genesis chapter eight, and I wanna notice what he says in verse 21. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for, now does God say because man is no longer sinful? Uh, As Darren mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if God's intention for the flood was to eradicate sin off of this earth, he did a pretty horrible job. God doesn't say, uh, God God doesn't say I'm not gonna blot them out because now they're perfect because now they're, they're, they're renewed and restored. What does God say? I will never again curse the ground because of man, because the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Well, wait a minute. Did you catch that? In Genesis chapter six, God says, I am going to blot out man because of the wickedness of his heart. Then in Genesis chapter eight, after the flood, God says, I will never wipe out man again because of the wickedness of his heart. Well, what, what's, the, what's the difference between the two chapters? God knows that sin will never be uh, resolved by a curse, by judgment. And you remember, we talked about uh, Genesis chapter three. He immediately responds with a commitment to restore mankind. But God knows that a flood, that another curse will not bring that to, will not bring that to fruition. And so what God is doing is he's carrying the story along 
in order for redemption to be able to come. So God says, I will not curse man again, even though he is wicked, because I know that the story has to carry along. So the first thing God does is God purposes our preservation. And he purposes our preservation because he knows that the story of redemption has to come on, has to move forward so that Christ will come uh, and restore all things. And so I want to keep that framework in our minds as we move forward, that God is moving this story along to the next phase so that ultimately Christ will come. So then we come to our, our passage this morning. And not only does God purpose our preservation, but God does a couple of things. The first thing he does is God gives us uh, provisions for our preservations. And I love this. So chapter 9, verse 1, and God blessed Noah. Now, this, is, uh, this has some echoes from uh, creation in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, the, the Bible says, and God blessed Adam and Eve and commanded them. God graciously comes to us and he blesses us. And we don't deserve it. And, and, and just like Adam and Eve, uh, it, it says in Genesis 1, and God blessed them and commanded them. The commands of God are a blessing. When we stand in line with what God has for us and we do what God intends for us, those are meant to be a blessing for us. So what are some of the blessings that God gives us here? Well, the first thing he does is he gives us the blessing of procreation. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Again, he wants to carry the story along. He wants people to redeem. And so there has to be uh, people on this earth. Now, I don't really have to apply this. I, I look out tonight, uh, this morning, it looks like we have procreation down. I don't, I don't think, you know, I think we've got that blessing, you know, pretty down pat. But God wants this, God wants us to have this blessing of procreating so that we can fill the earth so that God can redeem a people for himself. The second thing he gives us is uh, sustenance. Now God says, every animal, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So God comes to Noah and he says, uh, I'm going to give you the blessing of eating meat. Now you remember in the garden, uh, the Bible says that, that Adam and Eve ate, uh, ate of the vegetation. Now God says, I give you permission to eat of the meat. Now all of this we know. You know, this is, this is something that we, you know, that we enjoy all the time, but this is a blessing that God gives us. And so I can imagine Noah, you know, excited to eat his, his, first, uh, his first meal. You know, he probably got like some of these teenagers, they probably pulled out his phone and took a picture of it there at the table and maybe hashtagged it or something. But God finally, God gives sustenance for Noah in order that uh, he will be able to have strength and move forward. And this is a blessing that God gives us. He gives us procreation, he gives us sustenance, and then he gives us justice. Bible says in verse six, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. God comes to Noah and he says, now that, because I want this story to carry along, when somebody kills somebody, I want them to, I, he, they have to have justice. Uh, previously to this, if you read through uh, Genesis, you know, we have the, the story of Cain and Abel and the murder. Uh, we get to chapter four and there's a man named uh, Lamech who kills people and even brags about it. It's like in, in poetical form, if you look at Genesis four, he's bragging about murder. He's basically singing a song. 
It's like our first rap song or something. But what he's saying is, you know, he's, he's, he's murdering these people. And God says from now on, when you murder somebody, you have to be judged. And so God gives us a sense of justice. For example, I am a huge fan of uh, the television show Dateline. Friday nights, if I don't have plans, Dateline, uh, Shark Tank, maybe some sushi. You know, I mean, don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> and if you know anything about Dateline, uh, it's basically a show about murder, especially spousal murder. I heard somebody say, I heard somebody say uh, one time, if you didn't know any better and you watched Dateline every week and you didn't know any better, you would think every marriage ends in murder. And I remember one time I was watching it, and they were doing a recap of uh, the story of, of Scott Peterson. If you know anything about that uh, story, he was up north in California, and uh, he was married to a beautiful woman, basically had the American dream. I think he owned a, a company, and um, they were going to have their first child, and she went missing. And of course, you know, they found, uh, sadly, they found her body in the lake up there, and um, you know, he was the prime suspect, and now he's in jail for that. And they were showing the reaction. Uh, this was, this was uh, they were saying this was one of the first times, uh, besides maybe the OJ case, this was one of the first times that, pe- that, that it was like uh, televised. And so people would line up outside the courthouse, and they would, uh, because they knew they were going to be on television, and they held signs up, uh, you know, uh, justice for, for Lacey, I think was her, not, what was her name. Uh, you know, kill Scott, put him on death row. You know, he doesn't de- deserve to live. Uh, you know, get rid of him. Now, outside of the context of that, we would think that these people were crazy. But because we know the context that they are doing this, they are justified, they have a sense of justice, and that is a God-given blessing that he has given us that we would value life as God values life. At the end of that verse, it says, for God made man in his image. Now remember, God made man in his image uh, when he created Adam and Eve. And despite all the sin, despite all the, 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 the wickedness of man in his heart, the image of God may have been effaced, but it was not erased. And so God says that we have a sense of justice as a blessing. All of these things are blessings. So God purposes our preservation. God gives provisions for our preservation. And then finally, God promises our preservation. This is the part that I get excited about. Darren asked me to to teach uh, this passage a while ago. And uh, I just, I love this part of the message. God promises our preservation, and the way he does that is through covenant. You remember at the beginning of the, uh, uh, of the message, I said that, uh, that we're going to come back to the fact that God always keeps his promises, and God does that through the form of a covenant. Now, what is a covenant? Uh, there are many definitions for it, and in fact, um, in a couple of weeks, I think there's a Beyond series on that, and I would, I would recommend that, that you would... Uh, attend that, be a great explanation of it. But briefly, what is a covenant? A covenant basically is a bond between people that defines the relationship. God binds himself to us. The Bible says that God has made covenant. And if you go through the Bible, he makes a covenant multiple times to, to again, move that story along. And what God is doing is binding himself to us. God is establishing a relationship. And you read through the Bible... You see the times that the Israelites rejected God. 
that the Israelites despised him, that the Israelites ran from him to other gods. And over and over and over again, the Bible talks about God's steadfast love. What that is, is covenant love. It's like the covenant of marriage. When, when, when some of you got married, you established a relationship, a bond, till death do you part through sickness and in health, that you will always be there for your spouse. And so God makes that covenant with us. He binds himself to us and he promises something to us. Now, the first thing I want to notice about this covenant is that it is gracious. God doesn't have to do this. God doesn't have to move toward us and make a promise to us. But God, now, now you, look at, you look at other gods, especially, you know, there are lots of gods in the Bibles. Unfortunately, there are still lots of gods now. No other God binds themselves to, to you. In fact, it's the other way around, that you're working for that God, that you're working to establish that relationship, that you're working for their, good, uh, for their grace, that you're working for their goodness. But here God comes to us and he says, I'm going to establish a relationship with you. And I want us to notice, if you're, if you're, a, uh, if you're a Bible marker, uh, maybe you can underline a few of these things. I'm gonna read a couple of verses. In, in verse nine, he says, behold, I establish my covenant. Verse 11, I establish my covenant. Verse 12, this is a sign of the covenant that I make. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant. Verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember. Verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established. Now you read through this paragraph and you won't find Noah mentioned one time. God doesn't come to him and say, Noah, you do this and I'll do that. God doesn't say, uh, if you live a certain way, uh, then I promise that I'm gonna do something. No, no, no. God comes and he says, I am going to do this. And there is nothing that Noah or any of us did to deserve this, covenant, this covenantal promise. But God says, I am gonna make this promise and I am going to do just as I say. The second thing is that it's changeless. We notice in verse uh, 12, <clears throat> this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Now again, if you're a Bible marker, maybe you can underline the S because every single one of us in this room this morning is that S. God makes this promise, not just with Noah, but God makes this promise for all generations, for anyone that's ever lived, anyone that is living today, and anyone that will live. God says, I'm gonna make this promise and no matter who you are, I am going to do just as I say. God makes this changeless and he says in verse 16, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. This is a covenant that God establishes for us that will last forever and forever. It's gracious, it's changeless, and then it's confirmed. And the way God confirms that it's with us is by a sign. Now, one of the things about uh, covenants, you'll notice uh, if you read through the Bible, is that there's always an accompanying sign. For example, last week, if you came, uh, you were given a, a wafer and a uh, cup, and uh, we took the Lord's Supper. 
Jesus says in the New Testament that that was the sign of the new covenant. And we don't have time to get into that, but uh, we are all part of the new covenant for children of God. And when we, gave, when, when, when we gave you that wafer and that cup and you took it, that cup, that wafer did not save you. That cup and that wafer, it, it wasn't that you took it and now you feel saved. No, what was that? That was confirmation that what Jesus did for us is applied to us. So a, a, a covenantal sign is an outward, physical, uh, an outward physical reminder of an inward spiritual reality. An outward physical reminder of an inward spiritual reality. So again, like you took uh, the cup to remind you, it was an outward sign that inwardly you are a child of God and you remember that God broke his body and shed his blood for you. So God says this to Noah. He says, Noah, this rainbow is an outward sign of an inward reality that I am going to do just what I say and I will never again curse the ground. But I want us to notice something this morning. Notice what God says uh, in verse 13. I have set my bow in the cloud, verse 14, when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. Verse 16, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember. Now, God doesn't come to Noah and say, Noah, when you see the cloud, I mean, when you see the bow, you remember that I'm not going to curse, the, curse the, uh, the earth. No, what God says is, when the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and I will remember that I'm not going to curse the ground. What it is, is reassurance to Noah that God is going to do just as he says. Uh, it's kind of like a wedding ring. When, when a man and a woman come down, uh, they get married and give, they give each other rings. Obviously, it's an outward sign that you are, uh, that you're taken, that you're with somebody. But if the man and the woman are apart, if they're both at work or wherever, when they look at the ring, they don't say to themselves, oh yeah, I remember, I'm married. Well, nowadays, I mean, I don't know. But, oh yeah, I remember, no, what do they say? They say, oh yeah, I remember my wife, my husband made promises to me and they are going to keep those promises. And that's what God is doing with the bow. When we look at the bow, we don't say, oh yeah, I remember God's not gonna curse the ground. We say, oh yeah, I remember that God remembers. And it gives us the reassurance that God is going to do just as he says. He says, when you see the bow, I want you to remember that I remember. Now, I want to give an, uh, an overarching uh, biblical example of how God makes promises and that he'll always do just as he says. So, God makes his promise to Noah. He says, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to curse the ground because I want redemption, the story to move along, because remember, so that redemption can come uh, to those who put their faith in Christ. And some people look at the Bible as a historical book. Now, obviously, it's not an exhaustive historical book, and it's given from a certain redemptive perspective. But from the concept of time, uh, it's a historical book, meaning it starts in the beginning when there was no time and goes all the way to the end when there uh, will be no more time and we go into eternity. And if you, have a full, if you had a full Bible this morning, you would know that this story is four or five pages in, maybe six, seven pages in. But relatively speaking, it's toward the beginning of the story. 
But if we flip through the pages and we go all the way to Revelation, we find something there that is very reassuring for us. Uh, We remember Revelation was written by the Apostle John. Uh, He was on the island of Patmos. The Bible tells us that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the Spirit told him things that were, things that are, and things that are to come. And of course we know uh, the things that are to come is, is basically what people focus on. John says, though, at the end, something very interesting. He tells us uh, what heaven will be like. In an almost poetical form, he tells us how God will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. And there will be no more sickness, and there will be no more uh, sin, no more sorrow, no more pain, that we will have glorified bodies, and we will forever worship God. And the culmination is that God says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. Not only does he tell us what heaven will be like, he tells us what heaven will look like. He says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. He talks about the 12 very different but very precious stones that make up the foundation of the new Jerusalem. He tells us about the gates, that, uh, the pearly gates that are, that are on either side of that new Jerusalem. And they're always open, he says, signifying that we will have unimpeded access to the throne of God. Of course, if you learn, maybe like I did in Sunday school, and I used to get excited to think about the streets of pure gold on which we'll walk. John says that there will, be no more, there, there will not be a temple there because God's presence is there. There won't even be a sun because the glory of God will light up the new Jerusalem. Down the center of the, of the uh, main road, if you will, John says there will flow the river of life. And on either side of the river will be the tree of life from which the nations will be healed. But John says that the river of life flows, the source from which it flows is the throne of God. And in Revelation chapter four, John describes for us the throne of God. He says this, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow. Around the throne of God, the place of his final disposition from which he will judge the world, arcing around it will be a rainbow. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the rainbow did not change significance from Genesis chapter 9 to Revelation chapter 4. All that time has passed, but the meaning of the rainbow does not change. And God did not put a rainbow around his throne for decor. He didn't do it to add color. I submit to you this morning that God puts the rainbow around the throne because for all of eternity, we're gonna be able to remember that God did just what he said. And for all of eternity, God is gonna judge us by the grace that he gave us when he gave us the rainbow. And for all of eternity, we'll be able to know that God did just what he said. And we can find comfort this morning that when God makes a covenant and when God makes a promise, he will do just as he says. Now, there are many ways that we can apply this this morning, but I want to apply it in in the vein of thought of salvation. I want to apply it salvifically because remember, God is, uh, the reason he made this promise was so that redemption can come so that we can be saved. And so I want to apply it to us uh, in terms of salvation. Maybe you came this morning, you say, Steve Aaron, you know, I, didn't, I don't even want to be here. Maybe you got dragged by a family member. Maybe 
Uh, you know, it's just something you do on Sunday mornings. Uh, maybe you came and, you know, you're, you're tired from the week and, and it, you know, it, you come and you say, you know, it's just, you know, another day for me. Maybe you're struggling with sin. Maybe you're here and you say, you know, I don't feel very forgiven by God this morning. Maybe you, you, uh, you uh, are struggling with sin, maybe temptation. Maybe you made a, a dumb mistake you thought you would never make and you're, you feel shame and guilt and you're like, man, you know, I don't even feel loved by God this morning. Maybe you come this morning and you say, I don't even feel like a child of God this morning. I want to say to you this morning that you are not as forgiven by God. You are not as loved by God. You are not as much a child of God as you think you are or as you feel you are. You are as loved by God as God says you are. You are as forgiven by God as God says you are. And we can go all through the Bible and see promise after promise uh, of God loving us and God forgiving us and God making us his children. And God says, what I do, I will, uh, what I say, I will do. And we have uh, confirmation this morning that God will do just that. I think of uh, Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying? He's saying, God made a promise to me like he did at the rainbow and for, until the day of Jesus Christ, he is going to complete that just like he does with the rainbow. And so this morning I would say to you that if you're here and you're discouraged, you're here and you're down, or you just need confirmation, God will do just as he says. And I would be remiss if I did not mention, maybe you're here this morning and your first time here or first time uh, watching online, maybe you've been coming a, uh, for quite a while, uh, and you say, you know, I'm not sure about this God thing, I'm not sure if I can trust him, I have doubts, I have questions, I have fears, I'm not sure uh, what I should be doing. I tell you this morning that God made this covenant for you as well, that we enjoy the benefits of this covenant, but Paul says in Romans that the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. And God allows all of us to be a part of this covenant of the earth and the world continuing to uh, go on its cycle the way it's supposed to because ultimately he desires that we would come to him in salvation. And I would say to you this morning that if you have not done that, I would encourage you to come and taste and see that the Lord is good and see that there, is, there are covenantal promises uh, even more greater than this. And may all of us this morning find comfort, find joy, and find confidence in the fact that God will do just as he says. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that when we read it, we are reading something that is firm and sure. We thank you, Lord, for your covenantal promises that will always stand the test of time and on which we can uh, base our beliefs. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to find confirmation in that. I pray for, I pray for those that may be discouraged this morning, uh, those who may have doubts. Lord, may we always find comfort in the fact that you do keep your word. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that ultimately that uh, you would uh, find the glory and that you would be our God and that we would be your people. In the name of Jesus, amen.